everybody. I'm Dan. I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. This is the podcast where Mike and I, who have been watching movies our whole lives, watch movies separately and then come on the show to have our first conversation about them. Now, we take requests, and this week is another request. We're very excited to do this film, which neither of us had even seen before. Michael, you had never seen this, right? No. Never. So this is a request from Reese Howell in Gloucester, England. And you know who you know who our favorite friend is from Gloucester, England? Richard the Third. Richard the Third. So I'm sure he hears that a lot. But this is for Reese Howell in Gloucester, who tweeted us at 105MN Film and said, please do the film Alice, the 1988 film directed by um, Jan Shankmayer. I hope I said that correctly. It's a great film by this Czech director whose work we were unfamiliar with until now. So thank you, Reese, for the, uh, the suggestion. We hope you like our conversation. So here goes, Mike. What's your overall take? It's very difficult with this movie to understand at first whether the director and essentially the guy who envisioned he didn't do all the stop motion himself, but he he directed and, and put together this this whole vision. Whether he's showing off, which would be annoying, or whether he's driving it at something. And I think um, I read about the film after we watched it, not not before we watched it. And it turns out he's inspired um, Terry Gilliam. So for those of you who know, like the little shorts that Monty Python does, um, this guy uh, inspired Terry Gilliam, which doesn't doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, but as you said, he was doing shorts and then he was in he said he was inspired to do uh, a longer piece. And I think that that may have been what he was worried about. It's am I just being clever for the sake of being clever uh, or am I driving at something? And it took me a long time to start to figure out what he was driving at with Alice. Uh, and I have a secret list. So uh, I'm going to start my secret list. What's your secret list? Well, I'll give you the first example on the secret list. So here's the synopsis of okay. this movie. Uh, a young girl finds herself transported to another world where nothing makes sense, but all the things that she finds and encounters remind her of stuff from home. They're, they're similar, but a little bit different in a way that she can't quite put her finger on. What movie is that? The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Okay. So the secret list is movies that make adults feel like children in a certain way. So I've got the original Willy Wonka. I've got Babe. I've got E.T., I've got uh, the more recent Enter the Spider-Verse, um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Poltergeist, which we've done big. And, and what I found about all those movies when I sat and thought about them and, and kind of contrast them in my mind with what's going on in Alice is a movie like E.T. allows you as an adult to be a child or to participate in a kind of innocence while you also get all the good things about being an adult. You get to think critically and you're not afraid and you know you're watching a movie and the movie set up narratively so you can understand its structure. E.T. works for both adults and children. Alice is built in such a way to make you feel like a child, but all the unpleasant parts of being a child. Uh, it's, it's built so that you get, the, you, it recreates the experience of you, uh, of, of you forming experience when you don't have any context. And so what I mean by that is it doesn't work by wonder, which is how the Wizard of Oz works, or um, a kind of a, fam a family-inducing fear like Poltergeist. It doesn't charm you like Willy Wonka. It disorients you so that you don't know what's going on. People are moving in and out. Alice is always the wrong size. She doesn't know how to talk to, to anybody there. She can't get the drawer open. She's, she's obsessed with people's little routines that they seem to be going through. And she goes through routines 
herself that we're forced to watch, not knowing what the end result of the routine is. Right. And, and, and so as a, what it's supposed to remind you of is like, say you watch your dad shaving, right. And you're, what you're fascinated with is the noise that the razor makes when it hits the edge of the cup. And you're not sure exactly what's going to happen or what mechanisms are at play. And so you're forced to pay very close attention to things that you know are quotidian, but they have surprising results uh, at, at the end. Um, I'm thinking too of like the mouse setting up uh, his dinner in her hair, the way that he he pulls out the pot from his trunk and then builds a fire. The whole and procedure. Op- and opens his little, it's, it's all procedures. And I think what turned my brain onto this is, is two things. The first is, I think if you were watching kind of more of a Western cliche movie about um, how children experienced death, it would be something like Stand By Me, where like four kids from an American uh, middle school uh, find a dead body, something like that. Sure. Um, whereas in Alice, uh, if you remember, there's the fox scarf that comes alive and scurries across the table, right? What is it like to not understand that there is death but to try to, but to try to understand that the thing that your aunt is wearing around her neck used to be alive, right? That's that's disorientation. That's not understanding the the conceptual forces at work. And then the the heart, the most difficult problem was the mouths. So for our listeners who who watch this, there's there's a part in Alice where uh, every single time a character says something, Alice says it in her own voice as though she's reading out loud, and then it. It jumps to a, a. It looks like the Rocky Horror lips for a second, of of someone saying, you know, said the White Rabbit, and I thought to myself, that's what it's like to be a child and hear your parents read to you. What it is is, if your parents are reading to you, they might do like a, the voice of Mister Toad or something from The Wind in the Willows. But then when she says said Mister Toad, it's just your mom's voice or your dad's voice. But that's a child's first experience of narrative interruption. That's a, the fox or seeing the a mouse suddenly in a trap is a child's first experience of death, a child's first experience of the little procedures of life. And so I don't necessarily have a reading of this film, kind of like The Lighthouse. I, I have some generalities. I have some conceptual frameworks that like help me navigate the film. But I don't really think that this guy's just showing off. I think that he's driving at trying to formulate an experience that, that makes you into a child again and not in the pleasant ways. I'm with you on everything. I was going to text you a joke after I first saw it and say, your list of films. I was going to make a joke and say, this is the wicker man for kids. Because in the beginning of the film, remember, Alice thinks to herself, um, now you will see a film made for children, perhaps. And this is what you know, Tim Burton wanted to do. It, it, it is dark and it is, isn't it? You, you nailed my, I have a thing here that says uh, a note that says, don't shit on Tim Burton. But, uh, t- but too late because that this is exactly what he wanted to do, but never could. He couldn't do it. And it's, and it's, it's, it's not quote unquote dark. That's what everyone says about Tim Burton dark, but um, it, you know, she says it's a film for children perhaps. And, and that perhaps of course has a lot of, a lot of baggage to it. There's a lot you said there about a lot of things, but I want to zero in on what you said about children, because one of my impressions about the film was it reminded me very much of playing mist or Zork. Have you ever played those video games? 
No. Computer games. So Zork was a text only game where it was like, you know, you're in a room. What do you do? Go north. And it was all just DOS text. And you had to kind of find your way out of this dungeon. And there were all these puzzles you had to do. Then Myst came out, M-Y-S-T. And it was another like giant world you went into on your computer. And you'd just be in a room and you would hear like waves crashing outside. And there'd be like four books. And you had to read them and like figure out, you know, which key turned the right cabinet to get onto the boat. And it took you years and years. It was like playing Dungeons and Dragons by yourself. So the, these things were really, really big when I was a kid and I loved them. And every room was a puzzle. So it reminded me of that. It re- her going through this movie is like playing Zork. It's like playing Mist. It also reminded me of a lot of Samuel Beckett plays, a lot of mimes. He has a lot of short plays where you have one character on stage trying to figure out just how to get along. Like he'll pick up a box and then a sound goes off and then he puts the box down and like a banana comes from the ceiling. And like there's this whole pattern he tries to figure out. And it it occurred to me that you put those two things together, the, the mime and the video games. And it's it that's her experience because that's what childhood is like. Childhood is you're in a room and there's a puzzle and there's something going on. Like Bob Dylan said, something is happening, but you don't know what it is. Um, and, and you're trying to figure out what's happening. And sometimes you're too small and sometimes you're too big. And sometimes you're trying to get a safety pin. And you open the door and there's a thousand safety pins in there, or you're trying to get a pair of scissors and, and no one will tell you what's going on. Like sometimes your rocks become cookies and your socks become giant, disturbing caterpillars that go in and out of the floor. And, and you hear a baby crying and it bothers you. And then it's a pig. So all of this stuff is coming at you when you're a kid. And all you want to do is know what's going on, which is of course, like the one thing she keeps repeating to the white rabbit is what, do you remember what she keeps saying to the white rabbit? Sir, please. Yeah, please, sir. Please, sir. Like, is someone going to tell me what's happening? Because, and I think like, that's what it's like to be a kid. And, And I think this movie captures that really well. So welcome back. We went long in that first segment, but we got very excited. In part two, we always talk about our favorite moment or a moment that we think represents our experience of the film as a whole. Mike, what's yours? Alice is trapped in the house. She's she's throwing rocks at the white rabbit now, and he's throwing rocks up at her. And, and the house becomes surrounded by the queen's guard, um, which is, you know, the courier with the um, uh, the zombie chicken horses. Yep. Um, and so she's she's surrounded now. They're going to come in to get her. And what she finds is there's a tart, one of the tarts that make her grow. And so based on her previous experience of what's happened when she eats the tart, she knows that if she eats it, that she'll be much bigger than them and, and no problem. So she she eats it. And instead of just growing larger, she also turns into a big doll Alice uh, that can't move and immediately topples over like a statue. And so kind of building on what we said in part one, what I found so brilliantly jarring about that moment is um, that's also what childhood is like, is, is, is you think you start to understand the causal relationships towards things. And so you get into a predicament, you get into a pickle and you think, aha, now I know what to do. But of course you get a, a, a similar but unprecedented result because you don't understand the relationships. And again, if, if it were in a more cliche movie, what would be happening is we would be watching that from the outside and laughing. That, so this would be Alice, this version of Alice is not Mr. Bean, for example, where you you know more than Mr. Bean. And he's right? a the, grown the, up child, essentially. Exact, structurally, the problem in Alice is there is no sense of irony whatsoever. In fact, you know less than Alice, if anything, but but probably you're right at about even. And so you cannot condescend to Alice or and you can't admire her either. You guys are are experiencing this together. 
And so that's why it's so jarring, I think, to watch the movie for the first time. And it's it's the actress, the 12 year old actress that's playing Alice, but she's wrapped up in some kind of weird paper doll thing with a with a very disturbing mask on her yes. face. Um, and yeah, as a, as a viewer, the movie tricks you into thinking, you know, what's going to happen, too. And so the, the movie, I, I hesitate to bring up like Brecht or Kafka, because those things are way too on the nose, but they both refuse artistically to allow you to get comfortable. And that's really, that's the strategy of this film. And in fact, I think a lot of what you and I are feeling about what it's like to become a kid is not necessarily based on kid-like stuff. It's based on frustration. I think this director knows if he keeps you frustrated and keeps you without knowledge for long enough and not being able to understand causal relationships, that if you think hard about his film you'll realize that you feel like a child again just just because you're being frustrated and you feel like a child because it's not like dada art it's not like everything is completely absurd there there seems to be something there seems to be a pattern at work you just can't figure out like okay like you said about the tart that's a perfect example she keeps going through the movie like 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 um when she watches everyone fill themselves up with sawdust and with the queen like off with her head said the queen like she she keeps trying to find the secret pattern the secret knowledge and that's what it's like when you're a kid Okay, so what's your moment? So my moment was when one of the things that, um, going back to what she says in the beginning, uh, it's a story for children, perhaps, you know, it's clearly like a dream or or like a nightmare, right? Um, And it made me think of, well, first of all, two things. It sounded like a dream. I can't remember the last time I saw a film with this, where the soundscape was this good, like that ticking clock and how quiet everything was. And it's just, it's so dreamlike in that sense. And, and the, the fact that it's all stop motion is so much more dreamlike than if it were CGI. Because somebody could have made this movie for $80 million and it would have been perfect, but it wouldn't have had that effect. I think the effect of the way the White Rabbit looks and the, and the, the terrifying you know, skulls with their eyeballs in them, all that stuff is great. It also made me think of, did you ever read, did you ever read um, like Samuel Taylor Coleridge's stuff about dream logic? You ever read this stuff? So, you know, the physical, your imagination never goes to sleep. The physical world is still going on and whatever physical sensations you feel get incorporated into the dream, right? So if you're, if you're sweating in real life, you start to dream you're in a desert or things like that. I'm simplifying it, but the cool thing is that we see that here. And so my moment was when she starts crying and the room starts to fill up with water. And you actually, I remember watching this, I watched this maybe four nights ago, getting very anxious. And, and the water keeps rising and rising and rising. And you're afraid she's gonna drown. And it reminded me like, that's exactly what a dream is like because dreams don't end. In movies, the problem with movie dreams and the problem with TV dreams, the problem with all the dreams on The Sopranos is that they're always like wildly, perfectly symbolic. And they were always like meant for the viewer to figure them out like a rebus puzzle. But what's it like to have a real dream or a nightmare? It's, it's the water just keeps going up and you don't know how you're going to get out of it. And then you just do. And then you're in another room. And that's, I think that's what I, I admire so much in this film. I am reminded of the first cut in this film, which is that her room never ends and it becomes a rock yeah. beach. And <laughs> right. on the rock beach is the desk, which is what she gets sucked into into the drawer to follow yeah. the rabbit. And that, that's why, you know, it, there's no reason for it to be there. Incidentally, what's your favorite sound effect from this film? Well, it would have to be the clock. I mean, every time the clock came on, I thought it was a, such a great touch. Yeah. Um, there's the part where the rat, he keeps cleaning the, yeah. um, the, the watch. And then one time, because there's sawdust on it, he licks it to put it back in. Um, <laughs> I thought that was unbelievably on point and disturbing. Yeah. 
Alice of one Alice in Wonderland. It's funny how people will think of like you know the Disney and things like that. But I mean, and I know that you love the two novels, and I love them too. Um, but it's not when you, it made me re, you know it made me rethink it. It's like yeah, it's not a fairy tale. It's it's a dream, and dreams aren't always like fairy tales. And you know, it's often quite scary. Well, I have more on that in part three. Okay. Okay, so welcome back in part three. Of course, we always talk about the title or the ending or the key takeaways. I assume we're not talking about the title here. So what what's your take on the ending or the key takeaways? Before I say that, you asked what my favorite sound effect was. And I realized during the pause that my favorite sound effect is, is when um, the baby's crying and the comedy and the rabbit's throwing the dishes at her and throwing everything at her because the baby crying is so unpleasant. It's not a cute baby crying from a cartoon. It's really like it's if you heard it in a supermarket, you would say, is someone going to help that baby? And then, of course, it's a pig. So that was my favorite one. My take on the ending is that I want to go back to the beginning. She says in the beginning, you know, I nearly forgot you must close your eyes, otherwise you won't see anything. Now that alludes to the dream. She's throwing the rocks. The rocks end up in her bed and, and you know everything from her bored daily life, her quotidian existence ends up in this dream. But I think it's interesting because that's what movies do. Um, you need to close your eyes to the real world to participate in a film. And that's kind of why we watch them in the dark, even at home, like we'll put the lights out because that to, to experience a dream, you have to close your eyes. And to experience a movie dream, you have to you have to shut out everything else, which is why it's so much fun, I think, to see a movie in the daytime. You're, like when you walk out of a matinee, what do you start doing? Winking, yeah. blinking, like, uh, unable to like, yeah. Yeah, you see a great, like, like you walk out, I remember walking out of Parasite, like in a matinee, you walk out like into the parking lot, and you're like, the whole world's still going on? Like people are still like, it, this is like, you were you were in such a dream. You were participating in someone else's dream. And I think that that opening statement goes right all the way through the end where she keeps trying to get the answer from the white rabbit, but he keeps eluding her. So my take is really on the ending. We were talking briefly about the source material. Of course, I love I love Lewis sure. Carroll. Um, incidentally, the queen once asked Lewis Carroll for a copy of his next book because she was very taken with, with Alice. And uh, he gave her a, a signed introduction uh, to uh, logical functions. Um, so what I find is that Alice, the text, is an exploration of Victorian culture. Do you remember from the books yeah. what Alice is always being asked to do every time she encounters a new character? Say her name. And or explain herself. Reci and recite a poem. Yeah. Right? They, they want her to recite her lessons. And sometimes right. sometimes they give her new lessons, which are parodies of common poems sure. that, that school children would have known, right? That Because children, uh, speaking of soundscape, children are meant to be seen, seen and not heard. heard. And you know, if you think about the lack of dialogue, uh, in this movie, boy, are they. Um, and one thing about Alice though, because this doesn't, this doesn't really strike me as a cultural exploration. I would, I'm, I'm not thinking that we're, uh, besides the matches that say made in Austria, that's why it says on the box when the, mm -hmm. the mouse starts the fire on her hair, we're not in a particular culture. This is more like an exploration of the unconscious or, uh, or of the subconscious or like the, the formation of experience as we talked about in part one. And so what this adaptation loses in not exploration, uh, exploring a culture, it gains in something really interesting, which is that uh, Alice is super violent. And I, I'm very interested in how violent she is because she's much more like a real child uh, than she is, uh, as you said, a movie kid um, or, or a movie child, right? She's not supposed to be a role model for kids watching this movie. She acts uh, she acts instinctually 
uh, based on what she feels like doing at the time, a lot of which is violent. And a lot of which comes out of boredom. That's why she's throwing the rocks in the teacup at the beginning, just in her room, bored. It it comes out of boredom. And you, you know, speaking of Kafka, right? She, she's always, she's wrong. She's violent. She doesn't know where she is. Um, The rabbit's late. So we like, she feels like she's late. She's always in the wrong place at the wrong time. And there's no explanation very much like Kafka, which is an exploration of authoritarian structures in, in a way, right? Which is the queen. The queen says off with her head. Why? Because that's what authority does. It's fun. Bit, you, they, say, yeah. they say off with her head. And what you find is that I, I think that as she gets more violent as the film goes on, if you think about the ending, the ending is Alice finds herself back in her room, but the rabbit's not there, but she's got the scissors. Right. And she says, well, he is late. Perhaps I'll cut off his head. And and there's some kind of transformation. There's There's some kind of equation for me, at least, with the non-childhood world as, as authoritarian. And that's how Alice finds herself when we're immediately ejected from this movie, right? It doesn't really end. It just stops. Stops. And, and, and we're kicked out of it. Um, one, and essentially, that's also the point at which you may have started to get used to it, right? As, as soon as you start to develop a taste for it, the movie's like, nah, get out of here. And her personality has started to develop m- much more like the Red Queen. And so, again, I don't have a fully fleshed out reading. I just kind of have a a kind of conceptual map of what's going on. But I think that there's something that equates the things that she doesn't understand with authoritarianism, discipline, and violence. And that's the kind of person that she is by the by the time the movie ends. Yeah, it's a dreamlike portrait of, of, of growing up. But and, exactly. And so in that case, it doesn't, it seems to me like it doesn't have a circular structure. Right. We don't, we don't come back to where we started from. It has a spiral like structure. We come back kind of to the same place that we were, but at a, at a distance in time or further ahead. Yeah. You had your list of movies in the beginning. You know what this movie is the antithesis of the karate kid. There's no Mr. Miyagi to guide her. She doesn't come out of the whole thing as a wise, uh, you know, a sadder and a wiser man or, or somehow like that. It's the dead opposite of that. And you can't go home again. She's learned nothing right. to your to your point, right? At the end of the Karate Kid, the kid's a karate master. At the end of Alice, she's forgotten some of the gentility that she had, right? Because she was just throwing rocks in a cup, you know, either learning about water displacement or just because there were rocks and it's a cup and it makes a splash. But by the end, she's developed a taste for violence, which to me is telling me that she started to exit out of her childhood. And again, and not just violence, but like, but disciplinary violence. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for listening, everybody. That was a great, great film. Again, thank you, Reese Howell and Gloucester for letting us know about this. We're so glad we watched this. Everybody keep the requests coming. We are on Twitter at 15MIN Film. We're building up a, almost a whole season of requests. We have so many of them. We're trying to get to as many as we can. So you can follow us on Twitter, like we said, and you could also follow us on Letterboxd. Letterboxd at 15MIN Film. We get new followers every day. We follow everybody back that follows us, and you can let us know your suggestions there. Thank you so much for listening. Please also leave us a review. Please subscribe to the show so you don't miss any messages. And again, thank you so much. It would really help. And if you get a chance to watch Alice, you will get a sense for the fact that we are not turning down requests. It doesn't matter what they are. As soon as they come in, we're, we're getting them into, uh, into the, the queue as fast as we can. Thanks, everybody.